This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's big question, will going blind mean missing out in life? We're asking this question today to Aaron Boyd. Aaron is actually pastor of this church, Darabin Presbyterian Church. Now, Aaron loves watching sport, running, hiking, reading, eating good food and drinking good coffee. And he joins me now. Please welcome Aaron Boyd. Well, Aaron, I'm delighted to be welcoming you to the church where you're the pastor and you regularly speak and and they clapped. Yes. So uh, I suppose you're pleased with that. They it's better than a boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Aaron Boyd about if going blind will mean missing out in life. Now, today's big question on blindness deals with suffering, and without trying to trivialise suffering at all, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about Venetian blinds. Now, d- do you feel qualified at all? You're, you're a fan Not- of Venetian blinds? I like them when they block out the sun (laughs) when I'm trying to sleep. Okay, good. Okay, well, there's two questions, both multiple choice. We'll see how you go. Okay, question one. Venetian blinds are window blinds consisting of a series of horizontal slats which modify the amount of light passing through. Now, according to blinds.com, from where did they originate? Was it A, Venice, B, Persia, C, Paris, or D, Broadmeadows? So... Where did Venetian blinds originate from? Uh, and the answer may surprise you, but anyway. Well, it probably will. I'm go- <laughs> uh, I, I'm, as someone massively underqualified, I'm going with my gut and saying Venice. Well, hey. you'd be surprised because it's actually not the right answer. It, the it was Broady. <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Broadmeadows either, unfortunately. That was, uh, it was an attempt at a joke. Um, the answer is actually B. So they actually came from Persia. Uh, or, this is according to blinds.com. Also, they say, although the early history of Venetian window blinds is mostly conjectural, they are thought to have originated in Persia, not Venice. Venetian traders discovered the window coverings through their trade interactions with the East and brought them back to Venice and Paris. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, well, hopefully All the way we from get, Persia. Yes, exactly right. Yes. Anyway, so okay, well, hopefully we can get you to pass. Question two. Italian goalkeeper Massimo Taibbi moved from Venice to play for Manchester United in England. He was given the nickname the Blind Venetian after he did what in a game? Was it A, he kicked the ground instead of the ball when taking a goal kick? Was it B, he wore a striped goalkeeping outfit that made him look like a set of Venetian blinds? Was it C, he conceded an incredibly soft goal after a tame 25-yard shot which was straight at him, went through his legs and trickled over the line? Or was it D, he stood the wrong way in the pre-match team photograph? So which of those, one of those is true, the three of them are made up, that gave Massimo Taibbi the nickname, the Blind Venetian. Tough. I'm going with C. That's a good choice because C is the right answer. Yeah. Uh, so apparently after his hour, an English newspaper dubbed Taibbi the Blind Venetian. He only played four times for Manchester United before going back to play in Italy. So, Aaron, well, you've seen the light because you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause yeah. for Aaron. Now, Aaron, Massimo Taibbi was a footballer who was jokingly labelled blind because he led in a very soft goal. But you don't mind a bit of football yourself. In fact, that's how we met, in fact, playing uh, indoor soccer or indoor football. 
But you can't play anymore because of a medical condition which leads you to have genuine blindness. Can you tell us a bit about your condition? Uh, well, it's called retinitis pigmentosa. Mm-hmm. I, it's basically a genetic disease of the retina. Yeah. Uh, there's these cells in your retina called photoreceptor cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my retinas, those cells are gradually thinning. Uh, eventually some of them might die altogether. But wherever thinning and death of those cells is occurring, it means that they can't receive light anymore and, and hence you can't see. Okay, so that leads you obviously to become blind over time. Yeah. And so it's caused, as you said, it's a genetic thing. So, mm. so what, what caused it in particular? Was it just something you were born with? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my father is, uh, has the condition. Uh, he's uh, almost totally blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, for as long as I can remember, that's been... Uh, my dad's been blind, and uh, presumably my mum also had a gene <laughs> that meant that myself and both of my sisters have the condition as well. What's the impact of this condition then on your sight? What's gonna, what, what can you see or what have you lost in terms of your sight? I guess the two main ways, at least at this point, where it, uh, and the two typical ways where someone with RP, their, their sight's affected, uh, the one is where that thinning occurs or death of cells. Uh, it typically starts around the periphery of your eyes. Uh, you experience loss of your field of vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, Just a bit like tunnel vision or something? A bit like tunnel vision, yeah. So typically, typically it happens around the uh, periphery first, which is where you get... So you can actually have reasonable acuity in your central vision uh, but lose areas of your field. Uh, And the second uh, main thing is dark light adaptation, which basically means that when I transition between dark environments to a light environment, often I find it much more glary than the average person. And when I go from light to inside, uh, I sometimes can't see at all or I have a lot of trouble seeing and have to wait for my eyes to adjust. Right, okay. Um, And it's getting worse over time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Certainly, in that eight years, it's getting gotten significantly worse. I guess one of the concrete measures of that is uh, when I was eighteen, I got my driver's license on my birthday. Yep. Uh, no issues getting my license. Drove fine for you know at least seven years. Uh, and then after being diagnosed with this, after a little while, I had to stop driving at night time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I, I had to stop driving altogether. Uh, so I guess that's a concrete marker of how it's gotten worse. And now I sit in the cars in a car with people at night time, and it, it's, I really can't see very well at all sometimes. And it, I often feel like, gee, you're going really fast. Right. Just, well, I suppose I it see. depends on who you're with, doesn't it? Well, that's right. Some people <laughs> are going very fast. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad I can't see anything here, that's yeah, because I don't really right. want to know if I want to see. Exercise yeah. in faith. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Um, so, what other things then has it impacted? Uh, what are harder to do now than it was harder, say, say, ten or fifteen years ago? Contrast is just hard. It was quite funny the other day uh, when Rob and I met up to talk about this conversation. Uh, we met uh, d- in the foyer of uh, one of those kind of big buildings in the city. There was a cafe in the foyer. At the end of our conversation, I was uh, confidently walking towards what I thought was the glass revolving door and, and ploughed straight into a glass wall. Uh, fortunately, I've yeah. got a very big nose, and so yeah. it took most of the uh, a little brunt. Smaller, little smaller now, though. That's right. So there are a number of instances like that where I just. I was trying to slow you down, but you were you were determined to walk. I was, wall. yeah, that's yeah. right. I was having a good crack. So, um, so that's one thing, and that's just a contrast thing. Similarly, like going bushwalking, Gabby and I went for a bushwalk a few weeks back, and. Uh, uh, like rocks that blended in with the dirt were just much harder for me to see, particularly going down hills. I was really conscious. I had to sort of say to Gabby, can you walk uh, a metre or two in front of me so I can see where it's safe to put my feet so I'm not going to go tumbling down the hill? Uh, yeah. And so that, that was a new experience. 
so what's the prognosis then? What do the specialists say? Well, ironically, the specialists are a bit in the dark. <laughs> no, I guess the prognosis is, uh, like, if I live to my life expectancy, I, I won't have sight for my whole life. Um, they, they really don't know how quickly it will get worse or not. Uh, at this stage, uh, uh, one person said uh, in passing, not you know, uh, that oh, we reckon you might have 20 or 25 years of decent vision, whatever, however you define that. Um, but really, it's a matter of having tests each year and just seeing how quickly it's degenerating. Yeah, but it has actually degenerated over the course of since your diagnosis over to the now. The course of eight years, yeah, not rapidly, but it's degenerating. Yeah. yeah. So, is there a cure? Uh, no cure. No. Um, uh, I guess they're working on the genetics of it, like they're working on the genetics of lots of diseases, and so. Um, uh, no breakthroughs, like most places where they're looking for genetic cures for things. It's massively underfunded and, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. And so... Um, mm. So then how do you accept your condition? The Retina Australia website claims that accepting that you have retinitis pigmentosa will not be easy. You may go through periods of despair and of feeling resentful, bewildered or even angry. Did you or do you feel those things? Probably minimal anger. The three main emotions that I feel... Uh, frustration, because I'm, I'm quite a fiercely independent person. As we I learned when you were living that that's right. in the cafe. Walking into the glass wall. Right. I'm walking into this wall. You, know, <laughs> that's you, know, right. that's you walked with um, great force. That's well. right. That's yes. right. Don't try and stop me, or I'll get frustrated. That's <laughs> right. So, uh, so, so you're uh, an independent person. You like your independence. Yeah, that's and right. This is so slow. it's frustrating to be slowed down and and to not be able to do things and to not when I want to turn the TV on, not be able to find the remote and have to ask, you know, all those kind of like uh, That's frustrating. Uh, uh, there's some fear, I think, just because the future's... Like, the future's uncertain for all of us. None yes. of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow or n next hour. But uh, I guess there feels like a big question mark. I'm a bit unsure of how I'm going to adapt and what's life going to look like. Uh, so there's some fear. And there's just, uh, just some sadness, I think. Um, what, what, what particularly about what saddens you? In particular, I was saying to um, Gabby, my wife, uh, the other night, um, we had spent the day with the kids and um, and I just said to Gabby uh, that they're beautiful kids and I really like being able to see them. And um, that'll be hard mm. if I can't see them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And particularly, I suppose, if they get married or yeah, other right. things There's in the future. Life yeah, those life milestones. And it's not that, of course, you can connect with people in all sorts of meaningful ways, uh, but I do like being able to see things. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So there's a sense of loss and mm. sadness around mm. that. Now, the fear of missing out is an anxiety or apprehension around the idea that others might be experiencing something that you're not. Is that something that you feel, that others will have happier, more interesting, fulfilling lives because they'll be able to see and you'll be going blind? Uh, to some extent. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, as I've already said, there's some legitimate, uh, there's some genuine fear uh, of, um, yeah, missing out on certain things that I, I would like to be able to do. And it just feels like it's readjusted some of my time frames in life. Like mm -hmm. I, was, I mean, Gabby and I had talked about, oh, maybe we might like to travel overseas one day. Uh, but, you know, sightseeing's easier when you can see things. Uh, and so, <laughs> that's right. So yeah. the, the kind of, <laughs> The time frame for so those kind of things is like, oh, will I miss out on that? You know, like it's all over people's Facebook feeds, all their wonderful overseas uh, travels that yes, they're doing. That's right, and yeah. so, so there is an element of that. Uh, although I wouldn't say it's a dominant thing that I feel I'm 
missing out. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, many people would be obviously devastated at the prospect of not being able to see certain things. Go to Venice, perhaps. You could go and see the Venetian blinds there. That's or, right. But um, they're in Persia. <laughs> so, well, so, yeah. you can go there as well. You could see yeah, that. Yeah. You, could, you could go and trace the history. But surely, surely that'd be a, obviously a, a disappointing and deeply uh, a disappointing thing. Yeah, well, look, it is very disappointing. I guess um, from a different perspective, I feel like it's uh, opening my spiritual eyes, if you like, even though on one level my physical eyes are, are closing. Mm. Well, let's talk a bit more about that because there's a story from the Bible which talks about spiritual eyes being opened. And this story may surprisingly help us answer today's big question, will going blind mean missing out in life? In chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, we meet a blind man. Uh, chapter 9 says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Then Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, Aaron, the disciples here ask about the man's suffering, why he's disabled and why others not. So what do you think they were thinking? I think they were thinking something that's pretty common uh, in our culture, yeah, uh, what's that, that? Um, well, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Yeah. It's basically that they're basically saying, well, if this man is experiencing this particular suffering, uh, it's either because of some sin that he's committed. Uh, obviously, he's been born blind, so it must have been a sin, perhaps in the womb or, or yeah. something. Like, what, I don't know what they were thinking. How do you sin in the womb? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, or perhaps it's connected to his parents' sin. Yeah. Uh, but whatever the case, uh, that these bad things will only happen in your life if you've done bad things. Well, so then, what do you make of Jesus' response? He says, "Neither this man nor his parents sin," said Jesus, "but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him." I guess Jesus is um, not buying in to their assumption, right? Guess, which is which is really wonderful. He, he's saying well, you guys have this particular assumption uh, about kind of suffering following sin in this yeah. particular way, uh, but Jesus d doesn't buy into that. He says uh, this man's been born blind uh, for a whole other purpose uh, to display the works of God. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Th is it significant then that there's purpose behind this man's suffering? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, many people f feel that um, life in this world is completely meaningless and purposeless. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's an encouragement to know that there's a, there is an intelligent creator who's created a purposeful universe and, and things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, we may not always understand. This man born blind uh, is getting special insight into God's purpose for his blindness. I don't, I don't have special insight into God's purpose for my blindness in quite the same way. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, Jesus goes on and makes a dramatic statement in verse 4 where he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what do you think Jesus meant when he claims to be the light of the world? Yeah, well, he's already talked about that back in chapter 8. Uh, and so this, is sort of, this chapter is kind of building on that. It's really... Uh, it's almost an active illustration of, of that chapter in the sense that Jesus brings light and life to those who are prepared to admit that they're blind mm -hmm. uh, spiritually and he uh, brings, in a sense, the shadow of death and, and judgment uh, to those who aren't prepared to admit that they're spiritually blind. Mm. And so they've got those two things going on in this chapter. Which mm. Okay, but after saying this, Jesus then spits on the ground, makes some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and then came home seeing. 
So the man was healed by Jesus. Now, have you ever tried putting mud in your eyes, praying to Jesus for a healing for your that's eye condition? I've, that's what I've missed, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't tried that. I have certainly uh, tried uh, praying. And, and my father, as I say, um, he's always attended church. And there's been many people over the years who uh, have prayed for him and for his healing. And uh, people have prayed for me and for my eyes to be healed. Um, and I totally believe that... God could heal my sight, and uh, one day he will heal my sight. But I haven't tried a mud pack, so perhaps that's the missing ingredient. Well, there are many faithful Christians, though, who live for Jesus, who aren't blind. Now, do you feel bitter towards God for giving you this condition? Uh, Well, no, in part because I, I guess what I was saying, if you buy into what the disciples are saying, that sin and suffering are always connected on a personal level, then uh, if you are suffering... Uh, you'll either it's your, yeah so you'll either blame yourself or you'll blame God yeah <laughs> there's really only two options uh, and so whereas Christianity provides this alternate response that God might actually have a greater purpose for your suffering uh, to display His great works and so with this healing Jesus heals this man born blind what strikes you about um, Jesus' action here as He heals His man I, I guess He's putting His money where His mouth is in a sense He's made the claim. I am the light of the world, and uh, and here he is bringing physical light to the, the eyes of someone whose eyes, eyes were darkened, and um, and so he's yeah he's he's backing up that claim with proof, a sign I guess that that points to this greater reality. Now the story continues, and the religious leaders investigate the healing of the man, but they end up rejecting his testimony and throwing him out of the temple. So. What do you make of their reaction to this healing? It seems a bit strange. This guy's been born blind, yet the religious leaders don't like it and kick him out. Yeah. I think their reaction is kind of what you expect of people when the thing that they love most is being threatened. The Pharisees are fastidious about keeping their laws and here's Jesus coming in, breaking one of their laws. And so they find all that very threatening. Uh, They feel like Jesus, the, the light is exposing them. Yeah, so I think they respond in that way. Ultimately, uh, they want to get rid of Jesus because he's threatening something that they've centred their life on. Mm. Well, the story then continues in John 9.35 where he says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, this is the man born blind, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Now, the Son of Man is a term that Jesus used to speak about himself. So when he asks this question, it's interesting that the former blind man didn't recognize Jesus immediately. So why is that? Well, if you remember in the story, like Jesus, uh, how did he heal him? He said, put the, the mud pack on, but then go away to this pool and wash. Uh, and then it was then after he'd gone away from Jesus to the pool, he'd washed uh, the mud off and, and then he went home seeing. But he'd never actually physically seen Jesus. So this is the first time he's actually This is seen. the first time he's physically seen. He'd heard his voice. Maybe his kind of voice recognition wasn't as, as sharp. But <laughs> okay, uh, right, probably yeah. only had one chat with him, so that's probably okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is the first time he's seen him uh, physically. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Jesus then says, now you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man's response is interesting. He says, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So what do you make of the formerly blind man's response there to Jesus? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. We've got to, I guess this is one of the things that tells us that the story isn't just about physical sight and physical blindness because what we see throughout the chapter is that the man uh, initially refers to Jesus uh, as, oh, that man Jesus, 
then he refers to him as a prophet, someone significant. Uh, Then he refers to him as a man sent from God because surely only a man sent from God could perform such a marvellous thing. And then here, right at the climax of the story, he's calling him Lord and and worshipping Jesus. Uh, And so clearly there's a a deeper spiritual journey going on, not just a a physical healing. And Mm. uh, it's pretty incredible that a Jewish man would uh, kind of throw himself to the ground and worship Jesus mm. as, as a human being standing before him. And that's a very different response to that of the religious leaders, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, they're, they're still, in a sense, as I said before, they're blind to who Jesus is because they're centering their life. They're devoted to their moral superiority, their self-righteousness. Mm. And uh, Whereas this man's gone on a journey where he wants to centre his life now around Christ. He sees clearly who he is, uh, the Lord, and he wants to worship him, to be devoted to him instead. So the passage concludes with Jesus speaking with the religious leaders and says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. What are your comments on this little interaction with what Jesus makes here? Well, I, I guess at the end of the, the passage there where Jesus is uh, in verse 41, but he said, if you were blind, uh, you would not be guilty of sin. And what he's saying there is uh, if you were among those people who were prepared to admit that they were spiritually blind, you would no longer be guilty of your sins. Uh, but now that you claim that you can see, right? you're among those who claim that apart from me, you can see perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, and so your guilt remains. And so that's the heart of their, their blindness is that they completely miss who Jesus is and they think that they're perfectly fine without him. So what do you think is more significant, spiritual blindness or physical blindness? Oh, spiritual blindness, certainly. Yeah, why is that? Uh, my physical blindness is only a temporary thing, whereas uh, spiritual blindness has implications for eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that, uh, in that sense, it's much more sig- significant. Mm. Yeah. So Aaron, you're a pastor of a church. Your spiritual eyes have been opened in some sense. Maybe can you share a bit about the story about how that happened? How did your spiritual eyes get opened? Yeah, well, I guess I was, uh, I was a good church-going kid. Uh, I knew all the stuff. I knew uh, information about Jesus and who he was and uh, that he died on the cross for my sins. And all, like, I'd heard all the stories. I yeah. knew all the stuff. Uh, but I guess when I was uh, 17 years old, I went to a conference and uh, a woman there was preaching on John 3.16, famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And, um, and I guess at that point, uh, the way I'd term my spiritual eyes being opened at that point were, uh, I guess, two main things happened. Uh, one was, it was no longer just that Jesus died for people's sins, but that, that I was a sinner. You know, I read that verse and I'm like, I'm among the world. <laughs> This that, is the first um, time you kind of realised yeah, that. Yeah, it's the first time I'd realised it. So it's not that I didn't know it in my head, but it came home to me in a fresh way. Uh, I realised it, you know, even the language there, it became a reality to me yeah. uh, that I was a sinful, flawed, needy person. And, and the flip side of that was uh, I was among those who needed God's love. Uh, I couldn't kind of save myself through my own good works. I wasn't fine, like the Pharisees think. Are we blind too? Well, yeah, but they don't get that, uh, and I didn't really get it until this point. So what were you particularly seeking then? What what did you sort of had placed in place of Jesus? I was just desperate for the approval of everyone, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, And the main way that that 
manifested was in in my music. So I was a, a trumpet player. If I felt that my the superiority of my music was being questioned, that I'd get defensive. I couldn't really uh, take any criticism. If I played a few wrong notes in a piece, I'd be absolutely devastated because my whole kind of sense of worth was attached to my music performance. Mm. Um, so what changed then once your spiritual eyes were open, so to speak? I experienced this change where Jesus became the centre of my life rather than music or academics or any number of other things that were there. Uh, and... Um, two things that came from that in particular. One was a, a real sense of peace that I'd never really experienced before. Uh, peace in particular because I knew that God did love me and, and there was, you know, as Jesus says uh, at the end of this passage, no guilt remains. Like, and I had a real sense of that, that there was no guilt remaining because I'd seen Christ and what he'd done for me on the cross. So there was real peace. And, and the other thing was uh, just a real personal freedom uh, in understanding who I was, because I know that I'm loved, uh, no matter what, yeah, no matter what I do and how many mistakes I make, uh, and so that's quite liberating uh, to have that sense of security in who I am. So you mentioned a couple of ways in which the, the Christian message makes a real difference to you today through the peace that you have and also freedom. But what about as you ponder the future more? Uh, how does this deeper vision of reality impact your hopes for the future about when you will actually go blind? Well, one of the things about having your eyes opened up to see who Christ is is that you not only see his death for you, uh, that, but you also see his resurrection, that he came back from the dead. And you can see that and be persuaded by it and see it as, as a reality. And uh, when that happened for me, what, what that means is uh, this life isn't all there is. So I think it'd be a whole lot more devastated if I had to maximise every ounce of pleasure and satisfaction and every experience out of this life. But I believe that uh, eternity in heaven is going to be so much better than this life. And so I don't actually feel devastated. I don't feel that I'm missing out uh, because this life is, is not all there is. You don't have to squeeze as many sights into your sightseeing program That's right. as possible. That's right. Uh, another question has just come through. Um, have you ever said thank you? to God for your visual impairment? No, but I, I do think that I'm thankful. So, And the main reason for that is that uh, I feel thankful. I, I, in general, it's hard for strong, talented, insightful, brilliant people to understand the gospel because it's just hard to see your need, whereas my need is becoming more and more real every year. Mm. I feel more broken and humble and dependent on everyone else and, and that leads me to embrace God's love and grace for me all the more. So yeah. in that sense, I'm thankful. Mm. Okay, so Aaron, finishing up, will going blind mean missing out in life? No, not in the end, not ultimately, because even though I'm losing my physical sight, uh, I guess I feel I'm gaining whole much, a whole lot more in, in seeing Christ clearly and I've shared some of those things, isn't it? Like the the real peace and freedom and, and hope that, that no one can take away from me, even though my sight's been taken away from me. Yeah. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, will going blind mean missing out in life? From John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Aaron Boyd. Enjoy bigger questions? 
you can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.